the Memorare. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to your protection, implored your help, or sought your intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly to you, O Virgin of Virgins, my mother. To you I come, before you I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in your mercy, hear and answer me. Amen. All across the Gulf South, it's 7 a.m. Time to wake up on Catholic Community Radio. Good morning. You're listening to Wake Up on this beautiful Wednesday morning. We're so glad to have you with us today. I'm Gabby Smith, along with Damien Collado and Johnny Abair. Hey, guys. Good morning. Double salute. Good morning. Good to be with you guys. (laughs) Yes. It's uh, we have kind of weird weather. They're about to go from hot to cold, but we're uh, maybe we're always in transition, right? (laughs) Hey, you're in Louisiana, brother. (laughs) That's it, man. Just throw the dice. Figure out what it is next day. You know, uh, it's kind of a, we're not remembering a saint so much today as we're remembering our mother church. And we're going to talk a lot about that today, actually, during the show. It might even be a theme with some of our guests. Uh, so we're remembering uh, the, the, the dedication of St. John Lateran Basilica in Rome, one of the oldest basilicas. It's our mother church, the Church of the Pope. And uh, we will be talking about the temples and the, and the Holy Spirit and how we worship today. So let's pray. Let's get our day started in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O oh God, you prepare an eternal dwelling for your majesty from living and chosen stones. Increase in your church the spirit of grace that you have bestowed so that by new growth we, your faithful people, may build up the heavenly Jerusalem We pray this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much, Johnny. Looking forward to your gospel reflection. That'll be in about six minutes. Stay tuned for that. Johnny always has some wonderful insights on today's gospel. In 18 minutes, Peter Finney Jr. joins us. He's a general manager and editor with the Clarion Herald. And today he's going to give us an update of what you're going to be finding in this week's Clarion Herald issue in the Archdiocese of New Orleans. And it's jam-packed with some great information. In 35 minutes, Dr. Tom Neal joins us. He's a professor of spiritual theology over at Notre Dame Seminary in New Orleans. And today he's going to be answering the question, what does it mean that baptism makes our body a temple of the Spirit? So Dr. Neal always just takes it to another level when it comes to explaining questions like these. Looking forward to speaking with him. And in 48 minutes, Dr. Peter Kwasiniewski joins us to talk about his new release called The Once and Future Roman Rite, Returning to the Traditional Latin Liturgy After 70 Years of Exile. So I'm sure Dr. Peter has some wonderful uh, information and insights on this. And I know a lot of people uh, still celebrate the Latin Mass. I know my parish has a Latin Mass on Sundays. So Looking forward to hearing more about this. And Damien, like Johnny said earlier today, uh, it's going to get a little chilly in the next couple of days. But right now, what's it looking like? 
Well, uh, believe it or not, the record-breaking highs for the past three days are behind us. And you're right, it's going to get a little cooler. Uh, Sunny skies will remain at least through Friday, so that's good news. High's going to be a little cooler. 82 is going to be the high today. Low's going to be 53, so the temperatures are starting to drop again. Winds out of the east at 5 to 10. No real chance of rain, as I said, through Friday. Temperatures in and around the area, the cool spot in Mandeville and Gulfport, where it's 66 degrees. Home of Thibodeau at 68, Baton Rouge at 67, and New Orleans already in the 70s. 72 degrees, comfortable room temperatures. So when you go outside, you shouldn't even break a sweat. How's that for temperatures? You like that? Not too weird, as Johnny would like to put it. And grace (laughs) continues to fall on us like rain. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Well, the weekend is going to get real cold, so get ready for that. (laughs) Awesome. Thanks so much, Damian, for that. Uh, We have your gospel and gospel reflection coming up right after the break. It is five past the hour on Wake Up. Blessed Feast of the Dedication of the Lateran Basilica in Rome, today's Gospel comes to us from John chapter 2. Since the Passover of the Jews was near, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. He found in the temple area those who sold oxen, sheep, and doves, as well as the money changers seated there. He made a whip out of cords and drove them all out of the temple area with the sheep and oxen and spilled the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And to those who sold doves, he said, Take these out of here. And stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples recalled the words of Scripture, Zeal for your house will consume me. At this the Jews answered and said to him, What sign can you show us for doing this? Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews said, This temple has been under construction for forty-six years, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. Therefore, when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they came to believe the scripture and the word Jesus had spoken. Thank you, Father Chris Decker. Well, guys, today we're celebrating the dedication of our mother church, the Church of the Pope, St. John Lateran Basilica in Rome. And you know, um, go to Mass today, the readings today are all tied to the temple, both the temple in heaven that Ezekiel saw in the Old Testament and then the earthly temple in Jerusalem of Jesus' day. But we're also in the Mass going to hear from St. Paul talking about the fact that we ourselves are buildings, our temples of the Holy Spirit. Dr. Tom Neal is going to be talking about that a little bit later. So it's temple time. It's temple time. So what is the big deal, you Catholics, about all these buildings and templates, you may ask? And then here's the next question. What kind of temple really is most important, the brick-and-mortar ones or the spiritual ones in heaven? And so we're going to talk about this, in fact, more with Dr. Peter Krasinewski. But let's talk about some, some, this a little bit, because it's important to how we worship. You know, I, I, guys, I think there's a major fallacy in, or way of thinking, particularly since the Reformation, that uh, the only, only the spiritual realm matters. So, you know, there's been an over-spiritualization, uh, more or less, in our worship. And that all things that are externals to our faith, like buildings and churches and basilicas, just distractions to the real thing, you know? 
And then, you know, for Catholics, taken even further after Vatican II and the so-called spirit of Vatican II, we Catholics kind of caved into this to a large degree. Many said we ought to whiten the walls and uh, douse the incense, you know, modernize the art, tone down the, the lofty language, contemporary music, all that, to match the culture, thinking that will keep and capture people, keep people in. But that is an oversimplification of reality, though, isn't it? I mean, it's... It's not just contrary to our traditions, it's contrary to our human nature. So let's talk about this, because there is an ever-growing hunger uh, in the world for these more ancient, uh, 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 I guess, externals that give us a peek into the eternal. So here's the first thing that kind of came to my mind, you know, if where and how we worship are separate from the desires within our hearts, why did God tell us to build these things, build these temples, build these arcs. Very specific instructions, in fact. Why did God dwell there in the temple and continues to dwell in our tabernacle? And why did Jesus love being in the temple? I mean, at age 12, he had to teach in my father's house, he called it. He gravitated to the temple as a ministry, healed there, taught there, wept over it. It's, it's pretty clear, you know, that God desires a house on this earth worthy of his presence for us to gather with him. Second point, if we look, uh, you know, St. John, which we're talking about today, uh, in, uh, his, in the book of Revelation, saw heaven as a full-body experience. In the book of Revelation, we see there's incense, there's choirs, there's lamps, there's a temple, basically. And even on the last day, when we read about this, when the Lord comes again, the new heavens and the new earth, it's a restoration. It's a rebirth of creation. You know, there's beauty, though, everywhere. Even our bodies are transformed into something inter- in, in, uh, incorruptible. So it's got streams, we've got trees, we've got colors, songs, language, names on the streets even. Everything's reborn. It's a celebration of matter, kind of in a way, or renewed matter. So we're not just a bunch of intellectual, abstract beings floating around in the cosmos at all. And then lastly, we're made as body-spirit creatures. Our senses are tied to our souls. And, you know, even though, and we do know, wherever two or more gather, Jesus is there, certainly. Even if you're alone on a desert island, he's there, certainly. But we know that God loves beauty, too. You know, he loves uh, that, uh, the, the, uh, uh, an atmosphere in which it lifts us up to him. He wants to give us a peek into heaven and to, the, and to bring us to the edge of mystery, to look inside of that. And, and uh, as, as uh, someone said, You discover the substance, now we're talking about the Eucharist, but also the substance of God through the accidents, through the externals that are like a gateway, Uh, and and we come to understand him better. You know, that's just our nature, isn't it? So so guess what the point here is, guys? I'm throwing this out there. As Catholics, shouldn't we be striving to bring beauty into our sacred places adorning our churches, our liturgies with beauty, our prayers with flowery praise, our songs with ancient truths, uh, from the vestments to the windows to the art to the incense, all that should lift our mortal bodies to a place where we can kind of touch into the things that words just cannot express, into the mysteries that are beyond that. That's what the world's hungry for, and that's what we're all hungry for. So I'll return back to that question, you know, what kind of temple is really important, the brick-and-mortar ones here or the spiritual one in heaven? And maybe we turn it around a little bit and ask, why wait till we die to have a taste, you know, a peek, (laughs) a look into beauty itself?
I don't. I think there might be a uh, you know a reversion to some of these ancient beauties. I don't know what you guys think. Yeah, I know that uh, I love going into churches that make me feel like I'm in heaven. This is what heaven must feel like when it comes to the choir or just how things are presented. Um, And then trying to replicate that in some sort of way in the home to continue to bring that peace back into the home. Um, I don't know. And even stepping into certain adoration chapels where you not only feel the presence of God, but you can connect in that sort of way, that it feels like that as well. You're right, Johnny. Let's have a taste of it already, you know, uh, and, and, and we have those those things. And I think that my generation, the millennial generation wants that taste of the traditions of the church, whether it's the sacred art or the sacred liturgy. Um, that's what we're looking for. So um, I think that was perfectly said with your reflection today. Yeah, and I Welcome. I believe that church is more than just you and your being the temple within as well as the building. It's everyone. Mm-hmm. And we can't there forget that. Yeah. That's the beauty of our church. And yes, there are times when it needs purification, but guess what? Mm-hmm. The church is going to be around until the very end. Right, John? Yeah. Amen. Stay with us. Peter Fitty's going to join us next on What's in Our Clearing Herald. It's quarter past the hour now on Wake Up. This is Franciscan Media's Saint of the Day for November 9th. Today we celebrate the dedication of St. John Lateran Basilica. If asked the name of the Pope's main church, you might be tempted to respond St. Peter's Basilica. Actually, it's the Basilica of St. John Lateran, the cathedral of the Diocese of Rome, where the Bishop of Rome presides. As such, this church is the spiritual home or mother church of all Roman Catholics. Today's feast recalls the original dedication of the Basilica in 324, when the Emperor Constantine donated land he had received from the wealthy Lateran family to the church. The first structure built there and its successors suffered fire, earthquake, and the ravages of war. Still, St. John Lateran remained the church where popes were consecrated until the 14th century when the church building and the adjoining papal palace lay in ruins. The present structure was commissioned in 1646. One of Rome's four major basilicas and most imposing churches— St. John's has a towering facade crowned with 15 colossal statues of Christ, John the Baptist, John the Evangelist, and 12 doctors of the church. Beneath its high altar rests the remains of the small wooden table on which tradition says St. Peter celebrated Mass. There's more about the saints along with inspiration and Catholic resources at our website, saintoftheday.org. From Franciscan Media, this has been Saint of the Day. And a happy Wednesday morning to you, 19 after the hour. Get up, get going, and it's Wake Up. That's right, Johnny Bear, Gabby Smith, and Damian Collado. We are all with you to make sure your day starts off on the right foot. And what better way to get our show started than with Peter Finney, Jr., General Manager and Editor with the Clarion Herald. He's here to give us an update on what you're going to find in this week's issue in the Archdiocese of New Orleans. Good morning, Peter. How's it going so far? Going great, Damien. Thank you so much. Hey, thank you for being with us, as always. You know, a lot of things happening in and around the Crescent City, and this issue is a special one in particular. As you look at Catholic parenting, share with what uh, with our listeners what they're going to find and why they want to pick up a copy this week. 
Yeah, Damien, uh, every year we do a special section called Mommy and Me. And, of course, it, it goes, goes to fathers. But it's, it's, a, it's a section really kind of geared to uh, young parents who have children, uh, and some older parents, but how, how to raise their children uh, in the Catholic faith. And uh, we get uh, our, uh, we've got like 16 or so you know, short columns by some really talented uh, parent writers, and uh, they, they contribute to uh, the NOLA Catholic Parenting blog. And it's just amazing the topics that they choose to talk about and, and write about. Everything from, uh, you know, a, a new birthday tradition where they, they, they will go to, uh, to Mass uh, with, uh, with with their loved one on their on their birthday, each of their children. So they make a special effort to go uh, to mass uh, on on their child's birthday with them. Uh, talks about you know social media and how to how to you know you know guard the family and, and certainly uh, when you know you can post something on social media and then get uh, and then get blasted or you know, by people who maybe you don't even know. But it's like a it's almost like a thing of the cancel culture. And talked about how to how to handle, you know, uh, that kind of thing, and how really to be a light uh, to people and not just uh, kind of feed the criticism and, and all of the other uh, things. So there's some beautiful things about prayer, how to, how to get your children uh, involved uh, in the Church, and really how to, how to help them just live, uh, you know, good lives and, and make moral choices. So uh, it's, it's a really excellent section for, for all, for everyone, not just parents, but especially for, for young parents with kids. Yeah, and even grandparents. Uh, you know, it, it's oh, funny definitely. because I've got a six and a three-year-old, boy and a girl, uh, grandchild, and I'm going to tell you what, it's like parenting all over again, only in a little different way. <laughs> It is, and and you know, yeah, they go home for the night, which is great. But you know, but but, but you, you you can impart so much knowledge. You can tell them stories about, hey, when your dad or your mom grew up, you know, and when they were your age, and, and tell them stories, and they're going to remember that, you know. So, uh, yeah, grandparents are so important. Yeah, so they need to pick up a copy too, and and read some of those articles because you're going to get good insight. Because when when mom and dad is aren't around you're the parent you're at least the one guiding them so don't forget that grandparents out there we still play a special role right that's right and we also have a list of all the preschools uh in the 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 early childhood learning centers in the archdiocese of new orleans so uh, some some really good information there for parents that's good information is right another article that uh is in the uh Clarion Herald this week as the Archdiocese held its annual Black Saint celebration uh, last weekend. And uh, boy, uh, uh, quite often those are saints and, and I, I, that, that people just don't think about. That's right. And, and, and uh, the kind of the homilist, the, the, the person who was the main keynote presenter, uh, was a Josephite priest, Father Anthony Bozeman, who uh, just until recently was the pastor at St. Raymond, St. Leo the Great uh, in New Orleans. And he talked about uh, just the, the, the model of, of black saints. And, you know, we hear today about the woke culture, you know, and, and it's almost like a pejorative, and in, in, in some sense it's a, it's a you know, it's, it's a criticism of people. But, he, but Father Bozeman kind of turned that on, on its ear. He said, uh, you know, uh, the, the saints, the black saints especially, were, were essentially woke because they, they, uh, they had a commitment to truth and to justice and to transforming hearts, and you know, they, they, they decided to go against the culture and 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 really, you know, stand stand up for for gospel values. And so he talked about that, about how how the countercultural uh, every you know every saint is, but especially uh, black saints who have you know who went through a lot in their lives. So uh, it was a very uh, it was a very uh, heart heartfelt uh, you know address uh, to people. And they have they have this uh, 
they have this celebration every year, and it's it's wonderfully uh, wonderfully done and wonderfully attended. Yeah, and they're, they you know were true servant leaders, as the article states. Correct. That's right. Servant servant leadership is you know, and you know the Pope, the, the servant of the servant, you know, the servant of servant of God, you know, and it's like we are we are called to be servants to each other. Yes, That's exactly and, right. Yeah, and of course, another article in Kids Clarion, uh, Our Lady of Perpetual Help School in Bell Chase is showing some uh, how the micro school can actually bring good positive results. Yeah, this is an amazing story. Uh, a couple of years ago, uh, the, the Our Lady of Perpetual Help in Bell Chase was really was certainly uh, had had, not, had announced its closure because of declining enrollment. Um, parents. Get galvanized, and they got together and said, "No, no, we don't want to lose the school, especially for our young kids." And they decided to go with a very innovative model. It's a micro school where there are 67 students in grades pre-kindergarten through seven, uh, and they also care for uh, you know about two dozen nursery-age children as young as six weeks old. But the idea is, it's a small school, and there's a lot of uh, a lot of sharing, uh, and certainly the staff is much smaller, but they can get that, that personal attention. And they, the, the kids kind of work in, in very small groups together. So you might have uh, three- and four-year-olds together, but they, and they're working on different aspects of a project. And uh, the, the new principal, uh, Brittany Bro, said the, the results have been amazing, uh, and it's, it's maybe a model that uh, other, uh, you know, other schools may emulate at some point, but uh, they're really doing a fantastic job. And Our Lady Perpetual Help in Bell Chase, the, the school is thriving. So, uh, you know, out of out of challenge, uh, they've really risen to the occasion. But, but Peter, isn't it awesome to, to show why parents need to get involved with their child's education versus just Absolutely. leaving it up to the school? I, I mean, and again, that's the beauty of Catholic mm-hmm. schools, but the government needs to stay out of this. Right. Well, you know, uh, the parents absolutely had everything to do with uh, with saving the school. And and what happened? They announced the closure, but they got together and 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 the the uh, Catholic schools office uh, and that and they what do okay? You want to have a plan? Here's a plan, and decide let's go in this direction. And it has been amazing. So um, it has worked out really well. All right. Now, some an interesting thing is going on over at St. Christopher. The students are learning <laughs> about playing bone bingo. You're going to have to explain this one to our listeners. <laughs> That's what Paul just said. <laughs> well, it's, it's a, great, it's a great, great way to teach science and anatomy. And in fact, Beth Donzi wrote a headline, St. Christopher Fourth Graders Flex Their Sense of Humorous While Playing Bone Bingo. Oh, 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 oh. So like, hey, now you're getting corny like me. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty corny. But you know what? It, it works. It works. And so uh, each, each student, they, they learn about every bone in the body. And I guess imagine having a bingo card instead of having numbers. You have like a picture of a bone, okay? And then the teacher or will call out, well, what is this bone, whatever? And then you, you mark it. And it's just like regular bingo. But they've learned, they've learned every bone in the body. It really it's a, it's a great little teaching tool. And uh, they said the kids enjoy it. Some kids said they like it so much they really think about going to medical school and everything. Wow. It's incredible. Mm. Uh, It's a great little uh, innovative program they have at St. Christopher. Well, it's great that you get them started young, and uh, who knows who will become a doctor out of all that, you know, or a (laughs) specialist of some sort. So, uh, And I'm not fibulin. Okay. Got that that one? Okay, I had to throw that in. I'm sorry. All right. Now, you know, we've been talking about the new bishop-elect over in Atlanta. Share with us the latest uh, as to what's happening there with uh, Auxiliary Bishop of Atlanta coming up. 
Uh, it's a, a bishop like John Tran, who is the pastor of Mary Queen of Peace uh, in Mandeville. Of course, he was announced uh, as, as the new auxiliary bishop of Atlanta. He'll be the third auxiliary bishop in Atlanta. He'll be ordained to the episcopacy in Atlanta uh, on January 23rd. And we just have kind of uh, great background stories about, about him. He, if you just get this one story. Uh, he donated a kidney. Uh, to a priest seminarian, a friend of his who he met in the seminary, but had not really been all that close to. But he, he knew he knew him. But when that when his uh, his acquaintance friend said uh, he needed uh, he was searching for a kidney donor, he said, "Well, I'll I'll, I'll get tested," and uh, you know he he donated his his kidney to 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 uh, this priest who's doing well, God and he, that, that that it tells you everything about him. He, he he's so beloved. Uh, in Mary Queen of Peace for his his leadership after hurricanes, uh, the, the parishioners have have done amazing jobs in Texas and in Florida, you know, raising money and bringing bringing supplies, and all because of his leadership. Uh, so there'll be a couple of uh, uh, there's going to be like a farewell mass. Uh, he's not going away yet, but uh, <laughs> December first there'll be a a, a, some, uh, a mass at six o'clock at St. Rita Church in New Orleans. Everybody's invited to that, and Mary Queen of Peace is going to have a kind of a farewell mass on Sunday. December 11th at 2 p.m. Uh, so they can, they'll they'll be saying kind of their goodbyes uh, to uh, to Father Tran, and he's just a great guy, and uh, he's uh, he said he's very humble. I, you know, I, he said uh, his favorite uh, scripture uh, in is you know God didn't call uh, the righteous but but the sinner, you know, and and that's you know my, through my weakness, you know, I've, I've, I uh, I'm trying to live you know, as Jesus wants me to live. So uh, he's an amazing person, and uh, I, I know he'll do really, really well uh, as, you, a, as a bishop in Atlanta. You bet. Uh, look, 10 seconds. Who's your prediction? Because I, I read all your dad's stories growing up in New Orleans. <laughs> uh, who's going to win the Catholic district or the well, championship? you know, uh, I mean— uh, it, Make it quick. Okay, it's going to be Edna Carr, Edna Carr, and uh, and I think uh, it's it's you know they're they're very good. Yeah, they are. It's been a little bit of a down year. Yeah, Edna Carr. Edna Carr. Okay, I don't think you're going to go wrong on that prediction. Peter Finney, (laughs) thank you so much, brother, for being with us. Thank. Okay, General Manager, Editor of Clarion Herald. Always fun to talk to Peter and get the scoop on what's happening in the Archdiocese of New Orleans. It is thirty after the hour on a Wednesday morning. Hope you're waking up on Wake Up. It is 35 past the hour. Thanks so much for tuning in to Wake Up This Morning. I'm Gabby Smith along with Jamie Clotto and Johnny Bear. Our next guest is Dr. Tom Neal. He's a professor of spiritual theology over at Notre Dame Seminary in New Orleans. Good morning, Dr. Neal. Thanks so much for being with us today. Good morning, Gabby. Good to hear your voice. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Well, today you're answering quite an interesting question. It actually ties into today's gospel. What does it mean that baptism makes our body a temple of the Spirit? So, Dr. Neal, take it away. Thank you so much. Yes, well, uh, earlier, Johnny, I mean, Johnny did a beautiful job, by the way, just discussing the whole yeah. idea of temple and beauty and all that. So that was a perfect I mean, lead in there. So the gospel, yes, we have Jesus today in this feast of St. John Lateran, the Pope's you know, the church, the mother church of the world, the Pope's cathedral as Bishop of Rome, and very beautiful. So we celebrate the feast of a church, of a building, but really, in the church, the building is the visible sign of the church as a whole, as the mystical body of Christ. But we also see that the church really is an image of 
our body, of us, right? We see ourselves. When we see the church, we see who we are. We see our dignity. And what goes on inside the church should happen within us, uh, is the idea. And it's a very rich idea. And, and so in the gospel, where Jesus cleanses the temple, he goes in and drives out the money changers and kind of brings an end to the financial extortion he sees going on there in the temple that makes him angry, um, and then predicts the destruction of the temple, that the, the, destroy this temple, he says, and in three days I will rebuild it. Of course, the Pharisees mock him for that absurd statement, that in three days you're going to rebuild this immense temple. And then the Gospel author says, but he was speaking about the temple of his body, which is beautiful. So the temple in Jerusalem was just the sign of his body. Which And so what's a temple do? A temple for Jews is a place where God dwells among his people most intimately. Nowhere else in the whole of creation is God as intimate with creation and his people as he is in the temple. And I like to say that the temple for Jews was also God's base of operations in the world. So God, kind of, you might say, is the point of intersection between heaven and earth where God enters the world and then acts to redeem the world, to heal the world, to bring the world to its final, you know, its final destiny, and therefore us. So Jesus reveals his body, but then we, by baptism, baptism makes us members of Christ's body, which is what the Church is, Christ's body. So if we're joined to Christ's body, which is a temple, then each of our bodies is a temple. And so let me just talk about briefly two things uh, that that means, using the image of the temple as the place of God's dwelling, and then secondly, the place of God's base of operations in the world. So first, um, so thinking of the body as God's dwelling, so St. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 to 20 says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, which you have from God, and that you are not your own? Therefore glorify God in your body. So he uses the word temple there, but he uses a special Greek word. He doesn't just talk about the temple in general. He uses the word for the Holy of Holies, which is the inner sanctuary where the Ark of the Covenant was kept, where God's Holy, holiness dwells in its fullness. It's a place that you don't want to go if you're not if you're not worthy to enter into there. Um, and our body is that. that. That's astonishing to think that your body is the holy of holies, the place where God dwells. When you live in grace, is why it's so important to be attentive to living in a state of grace. Um, so it made me think, maybe uh, you know, I love telling stories. So there was a, mm-hmm. a priest in uh, Massachusetts, like in North Ottawa, Massachusetts, many years ago in the '80s. Um, named Father William Babbitt. I think I told a story about him once. He had the gift of healing in the 70s, yeah. had, had rheumatoid arthritis in a wheelchair, and yet he, he brought you know healing to people. But he used to do baptisms uh, during Mass on Sundays with infants, and I was there one time when he did that. And after he baptizes the infant he, from his wheelchair, because he can't stand, um, he would hand the baby, baptize the baby back to the mother, and then he would slowly, painfully get out of the wheelchair, get on his knee, and say in front of the, the child the mother was holding, behold the temple of the Trinity. Wow. Right? So that child is a tabernacle. The word tabernacle is a, is a Latin word we use for temple. It's mm-hmm. awe-inspiring to realize who we are because of baptism. The kingdom of God is within you. Uh, and he said, he said, think about the Eucharist. Christ is, is present in the world in the most radical way in the Holy Eucharist. But what's the destination of the Eucharist? It's to be ingested into your body, because that's where he wishes to dwell. That's where he wants to be. So it just gives you the sense that, you that in you know, if I'm looking for God, where is God? Where is God? I'm searching for him. Go within to the yeah. deepest center of your heart, and he's there. So 
was that beautiful sense. Um, Absolutely. Second one, I'll just briefly. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. No, no, go ahead, Dr. Neal. I, I want you to continue your points because I'm getting I know, a lot of uh, information, and it, it's definitely tying into what Johnny was talking about earlier. So please continue. It, it is. Okay, good. I, I talk. I know I talk <laughs> a lot. This is going to be a conversation. No, no, it's good. Oh, my <laughs> <laughs> thing is to tell you, you know, we know this is Dr. Neal. He just did his talk. Um, <laughs> the, temple, the temple is God's base of operations in the world, right? It, it, there's a beautiful psalm that says, May the Lord bless you from his holy temple in Jerusalem, right? This is, so God blesses the world from the temple. So you are the place where God blesses the world. Uh, that's what you are. And so your life, your whole life becomes like poetry in motion, becomes blessing in motion, becomes God's base of operations. In other words, when Paul says glorify God in your body, it means manifest the way God clearly wants to be present in the world. We know how God wants to be present in the world. Scripture, we see it, and Jesus exemplifies it. So live that way. Um, and so I think here at the end uh, of the prayer that St. Teresa of Avila famously wrote that's been put into many musical renditions, it goes, it goes like this. Christ has no body but yours, no hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes with which he looks with compassion on the world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands with which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands, yours are the feet, you are his eyes, you are his body. Mm. So that's the sense in which God wishes to be visible, right? He becomes incarnate in Jesus, but he wishes to be visible always to the world, and we are God-made visible, right? But by baptism, mm. we are extensions of the incarnation. So God wants to have skin on and, and have a face to look at others and, and speak to them words of love and compassion and mercy and truth and beauty and we're that. You know, the churches are beautiful, but the churches are just signs of the beauty that our lives should be. Our lives should be mm-hmm. poetry in motion, the poetry of the gospel, the poetry of the love of God. Absolutely. Dr. Neal, we have a couple of minutes left. Is there anything that we can do today? We've heard all of the, the all of this information, how we are the base and we are the temple that God created us to be uh, and, and to replicate that as we go out into the world. What can we do today? Something tangible to, uh, you know, maybe live the gospel that we're hearing today? Sure, but it's a great question. So I'll, I'll, I'll end, I'll use this image comment on it. So what I, I, here's, I told you a couple of times, the stories when I worked with Missionaries of Charity, Mother Teresa's order, and I mm-hmm. met Mother Teresa very briefly in an encounter, which was really extraordinary. And when she was giving a talk to the volunteers, she said, you know, what's the greatest gift you can give to the world? To be a saint. Okay, that's yes, of course, <laughs> but what does that mean? She says, she says a saint is one in whose presence it's easy to believe in God. A saint is one in whose presence, when you're with them, it's easy to believe in God because they are so transparent. So in, in your world today, whatever the situation you're in, we're, we're, especially when you're in a situation where it is not easy to believe in God because there's, there's so much negativity or darkness or gossip or sin or hatred or whatever it is, that you be the one, you be the person in that situation who reveals what God is like to others and, and, and makes a space in which they can come to faith because you created this beautiful world out of the world you live, the way you speak, the way you act, the way you don't act, the way you, you know, don't respond to people, but you, you respond to them in charity or patience or honesty, uh, the truth, uh, whatever it is, where can you make belief in God easy? 
uh, in a world where mm-hmm. it's very difficult to believe in him because it's so obscured. So, mm-hmm. so concretely, just think of the situations today as you go through, see the situation, ask the Lord to show me, show me where you want me to make you visible and others to be able to believe in you because they see in me you alive. Wow. Thank you so much, Dr. Tom Neal, Professor of Spiritual Theology at Notre Dame Seminary. Thank you so much, Dr. Neal, for being with us today. It's an honor. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. You can learn more about Notre Dame Seminary at nds.edu. Dr. Peter Kwasiewski joins us after the break. It is 45 past the hour on Wake Up. It's 48 past the hour. Good to have you with us on Wake Up This Morning. Johnny and uh, Gabby and Damien with you. And uh, at this time, we're really quite uh, honored to have with us Dr. Peter Kwasniewski. He's going to join us this morning to talk about a new book, a new release called The Once and Future Roman Rite, Returning to the Traditional Latin Liturgy After 70 Years of Exile. Good morning, Dr. Kwasniewski. Yes, good morning, Johnny. It's so good to have you with us. I, I did get a chance to read a good bit bit of the book this morning. Uh, well, I'm, I'm sorry, the last few weeks. And you make a very strong case for returning to the traditional Latin Mass in lieu of the curtain rite, current rite referred to as the Novus Ordo. In fact, you say the Novus Ordo is not the Roman rite, but something else entirely. So, And you give some very specific points in the book for to back this up. Can you perhaps give us a few of the strongest reasons for uh, for the basis of the book? Yes. So basically, my, my concern here, um, obviously I have a bunch of different concerns in the book, but I guess the overriding concern <coughs> is, to, um, is to help readers to understand what constitutes a liturgical rite, um, historically and, and theologically. A, a rite is something very definite. It has a definite profile. It, it's a sort of a genetic code. Um, it has a family history. You know, it's, it's not something random or something that we just slap a name onto. Uh, and so when you look at, at the history of the Roman Rite, uh, you find a lot of particular characteristics that it has. You find, uh, for example, the Roman Canon as the only Eucharistic prayer that the Roman Rite ever had um, until the late 60s, um, 1960s. You, you find... Uh, uh, the use of the Latin language from very early on <clears throat> in an unbroken chain. Um, you find a certain way of singing the liturgy, namely the chanting of it, what we call Gregorian chant. Um, and, and there are other examples, too, ad orientem um, and, and various things like that. So when you put these all together, that gives you a sort of definite profile of what the Roman rite is. Um, and unfortunately, the, the modern rite of Paul VI, although it has some of those features as options, um, as a totality, it simply isn't that right. Yeah, in fact, let's pick up on that. Um, uh, these changes uh, that uh, led up to and including Vatican II, you, you say that wasn't so much a reform of the right, but it, rather a revolution, I guess, affecting not just the Mass, but much more. What, did, what do you feel that we're really losing or we've lost, we may be losing, uh, that we might not get back uh, when we, uh, if, we, if we do not uh, return or celebrate, I guess, the, Lat, uh, the traditional Latin Mass? Yes, yes. So <clears throat> I'll give you one example that's uh, really, really, um, you know, an eyebrow-raising or even hair-raising uh, example here. Uh, the, 
there's uh, the, the orations, the prayers of the Missal. Um, these are the the uh, collect, secret, and post-communion, um, the three great prayers of the Mass, one in the beginning, one in the middle, one at the end. Um, these are some of the most ancient prayer texts we have in the Church. They, go, they stretch all the way back into the early centuries. Um, we don't even have you know, records. They, they go back so far until later on, after they've already been well-established. Um, but this body of orations, really the core of our liturgical prayer, uh, was modified so heavily um, between the 1962 Missal, the last edition of the Tridentine Missal, and the 1969 Missal, that only 13% of the orations, the prayers, remained intact in the wow. 1969 Missal that were in the 1962 Missal. Another um, couple of dozen percent were remained, but in some heavily modified form. And then... Uh, you know, a, a whole bunch of them just disappeared into the memory hole completely. Um, and why was this done? Well, part of the reason is that a lot of the older prayers were pretty gritty, realistic prayers. They talked about hell and damnation. They talked about sin and vice. They talked about the need for fasting and abstinence and self-mortification. You know, they, they talked about prioritizing the kingdom of heaven over, over earthly concerns, you know, social justice, whatever. So they, 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 they had a kind of, they had a content to them that wasn't really welcome to the Vatican II generation, you know, at least to the minds of some people who wanted to see the church really transformed. Um, and so they, they said, well, these prayers are not really for modern man anymore. These are old, these are medieval prayers. These are ancient prayers. We don't use these kind of prayers anymore. Well, that's a, that's a bad mentality to have, you know. We, we actually need we need those very things. We need to fight against vice. We need to to uh, pray for salvation and against damnation. You know, so there are things in the old missal that we really need for our spiritual health and sanity, uh, and that's the kind of thing we're in danger of losing if we don't have the continued celebration of the of the Trinity Mass. Hmm. We're talking with Dr. Peter Kwasniewski, and the book is The Once and Future Roman Rite, Returning to the Traditional Latin Liturgy After 70 Years of Exile. Let's pick up on that. Um, I've read in the book, you know, the problem, uh, you point out the problem of trying to remake a liturgy to fit a certain age, uh, a kind of a postmodern approach. In fact, you say what the proponents of the new evangelization need is to f- go back and figure out what made the old evangelization so successful. So, uh, and you talk a lot about that, uh, the, the traditional Latin Mass uh, kind of matching our human nature where we, it takes us to a point of peering into the mystery uh, through the senses and through the what some call the, the the smells and bells. What is it then that you that is there in the traditional Latin Mass that uh, that is the basis for this? Because it seems to be more and more people are drawn to this in, in a modern right. age. Exactly. See, the thing is, it's not just any one feature of it. It's a whole constellation of features. Um, you touched on some of them. There, there are the the, the famous smells and bells, the use of the incense, the use of eastward orientation where the priest and the people are facing together towards the symbol of Christ who is to come from the east. Um, there is the, the enormous amount of Eucharistic reverence, the kneeling for communion, the way the priest holds his fingers together after he touches the host. I mean, there, there are so many details like this. Um, many of those things can be done in the modern rite of Paul VI, although they're not commonly done, and they're almost discouraged by a certain generation of people. They can be done, but then there are all the things I was touching on earlier that are only in the old missal, the, the rich content of prayers, the total integration of the Gregorian chant into 
the liturgy, the integration of the divine office or the breviary with the mass, which is something that kind of fell apart after Vatican II as well. There are just all these features there that yes. that create a sort of total worship ecosystem. You know, if I could if I could put it into modern terms, you know, yes, uh, and right. it's sort of like a wraparound, you know, 360 degree worship experience. And very importantly, the ceremonies are incredibly. Um, detailed in their in in the rubrics in what the priest is told to do how he's told to do it everything has to be very precise and that's not for the sake of of being you know um finicky or fussy it's for the sake of ensuring that every celebration is as dignified and reverent and and god-centered as it can possibly be with no room for human you know experimentation or showing off or the personality of the priest or anything like that so do you see what I mean? There are all these different yes, dimensions uh, that come together yes. to form a sort of constant, reliable way of worship. And I think, personally, that's the number one reason why so many Catholics are attracted to the Latin Mass, because they know what they're going to get. Week in and week out, day after day, it's always the same, it's always sacred, it's always full of mystery and reverence. You know, it, it's, it's not like a like a, a roulette game, right, where you just don't know what you're going to get. Right, right, right. Well, uh, where can we get a copy of the book, uh, Dr. Kwasniewski? Yes, um, well, it's published by TAN Books in uh, Gastonia, North Carolina. So you can, of course, get it from the TAN website. Um, you can also get it from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, you know, the, the usual suspects. So, yeah, it's, it's available all over the place. Powerful, powerful work. Well, thank you, Doctor. We appreciate your contribution. Thank you for being with us this morning. Oh, thank you for having me on. You bet. You bet. Mm. Well, experience a traditional Latin Mass if you can. Powerful. Let's pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. As we go out today. O Lord, you are the cornerstone, the foundation of our faith, and within us you have planted a temple for the Holy Spirit to dwell. May the city of God that we build here on earth prepare us and direct us to the beauty of the city of God in heaven, where we hope to be with you forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Have a wonderful Wednesday. God bless. Wake Up is a production of Catholic Community Radio.